You're listening to Aesthetically Speaking. On this podcast, we're talking about all things branding, logos, colors, fonts, and the strategy behind it all. It seems like these days it's easier than ever to build an audience, but harder than ever to stand out online. My name is Rebecca, and I'm a brand strategist and designer. I'm here with my sister, Abby, a lawyer who needs a creative outlet. Together, we're going to talk about how to bring your brand to life. Welcome back to Aesthetically Speaking. So here's here's what I think is the problem with the podcast. (laughs) Okay. Oh, is this a housekeeping thing? This is not housekeeping. Okay. I just feel like I want to I want to open this up. Yeah. I know that people probably came here wanting to get like business advice, but sometimes like the parts that I remember best are the unrelated non-business. Sometimes, you know, sometimes the branding takes us to an interesting intellectual point. Are you not entertained? I am entertained, but like sometimes, like my favorite part of the color episode is when we talked about your Twitter fight with Josh Groman. <laughs> well, yeah. But is that interesting to anybody else? That's what I don't know. That's what I don't know. Like, is everybody else like, stop talking about your siblings? I don't want to know what they're doing in life. I just want to know what should my logo look like? Well, if you want to know, then you're just going to have to suffer through the chit chat yeah, about our siblings. Sort through all the chit chat. That's what I mean. That's what I like in a podcast. Yeah, I do too. I think the truth is if you wanted to know what should be in my logo, you could Google that. That is true. Like the reason that people are listening to this podcast, and I don't mean this to sound braggadocious or that I think I'm like the world's foremost branding genius, but the reason that people listen to a podcast is because they want that individual's perspective on something. Right. That's what we're providing. And but am I contributing valuable perspective? <laughs> like you personally or just like people in general? Me personally. You clearly have expertise. I think you're contributing. Okay. I think, I have opinions. Yeah. I think this you episode have, I think I will contribute more because I have, you know. Yeah, you have done a lot of done a lot of work in the Enneagram space. Yeah, you actually you are the person who got me into the Enneagram. That is true. I think I've done that for a lot of people. Yeah. And I think you ask a lot of good questions too. Okay. Why does that matter? Why is that relevant? Like one thing that I sometimes struggle with and like every every expert struggles with is that you forget that you know something and that there's a yeah. reason that you know it. Like I tell people like you, forget you have to have it's not per- self-evident. Right, exactly. Like I'm like you have to have a personal brand. And it's like why? And I'm like because you do. Duh. Of course you do, you know, because like that's my whole world. So it's right. I think it's good to ha- a have your perspective and b force me to explain it a little bit more. Okay, as long as you feel like it's helpful and it's not just like me taking us to these tangential places no. that no one wants us to go. No, 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 no. Okay. I, I really, really like all the conversations that we have. Like well, I, I do too. I, like I also everything like everything that you bring up. I would listen to us talk about nothing for fun <laughs> as my preferred podcast. So. Yeah. I th- I don't think we've had a tangent so off that it's like no longer relevant to anything at all. You know. And when we do gossip about our family, we usually cut it. Yeah, usually. we edit that out. Yeah. That's like, okay, I was You're listening welcome. I was listening to my favorite murder and she said like I've listened to every episode, right? And all of a sudden in this episode, she's like, man, that was so embarrassing, that story that I told about my period. 
And Georgia was like, don't worry, I edited it out. And she's like, oh, you did? And she was like, yeah, people are going to listen to this and have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and I thought that was And then so I bet everyone funny. was like, tell us. Yes, exactly. I thought it was really funny. Yeah, let's dive into E is for Enneagram and what we're going to talk about okay. with that. Sure. I will, I will kick us off. So if you're following along, we're going alphabetically through topics that seem to have no correlation, but yet <laughs> somehow they do. The, so today, the alphabet, e is for what more do you want? <laughs> They're in the alphabet. Look it up. Um, so the Enneagram is a personality typing system, mm-hmm. which seems a little bit reductive. So the Enneagram uh, has nine different types, mm-hmm. and it basically has arranged them in kind of a circular shape. Okay. So next to, and they're they're in order. So there's one through nine. Mm-hmm. And they each have names. And so you're, you'll have a primary number mm-hmm. with some traits that you embody. And then you'll also have what they call wings. So you will rely on the numbers next to you in times of stress. Oh, is that what the wings mean? I've never understood what the wings are. Right. So there's the wings, which are the numbers next to you that you share some characteristics on or you rely on those. And then they're also, there's kind of a star-shaped movement chart. This is more mm-hmm. complicated than we're going to get in the episode, but that you move in a direction of, of regression or stress, and uh-huh. then another, re- like, you move towards another number, and you embody other characteristics when you are growing. Yeah. So the there's a lot of interplay in that, and it's, even though there's nine types, and that might seem to be a little bit reductive, there's mm-hmm. quite a bit of complexity and movement in there. So yeah. I will say, here's here's my pitch. What I like about the Enneagram system yeah, because I, I have... feel like I took the test and I was like, mm, that doesn't resonate with me. And then you were like, you got to try it again. Like you were the one that was like, this actually is has been really accurate for me. Right. So what I will say is when when I found my type and actually looked into it, it felt like someone was like peeping into my brain and reading my secret thoughts. Hmm. And it really felt like, oh, this this is a very descriptive of how I approach problems and how I really feel about things in a way that I don't even know if I could articulate. Yeah. But I will say the the basis for the Enneagram is it's not behavior-based. So it's not about like, do you like going to parties or do you like staying home and reading a book? Yes. And that determines whether you're extroverted or introverted. Yeah. It's about... It's desire-based, so they mm. they talk a lot about, like, your core longing. Yeah. And so two people can have the same Enneagram type and appear and behave very differently. Mm. Okay, but I like they that. they might share some core motivations, or they might approach problems in a similar order. Yeah. And so I really like that about it because... I don't think people like the type that I'll, I'll come I'll come clean right now. I'm a type five, and I'm okay. a five wing four for those who know what that means. Mm-hmm. And my like subtype within five is called castle. So it's somebody that's like very protective, very private, rare, very reserved. And I don't think I come across that way. I'm ex- I'm very very extroverted and very social. Yeah, and I like to talk, and I'm quite opinionated, but my core instinct, like how I react to something is very much to protect myself and to Mm -hmm. study things out and to be, Mm -hmm. I am very privacy oriented because of my job and other things. Yeah. So it's interesting, like 
I I think if from the outside looking in, someone wouldn't assume that that's my type. Right. But when I read about it and how like I feel about things internally, it's very accurate. Mm. I think that's actually super, super interesting because one thing that we've talked about before, Abby and I, in kind of this transition from just like growing up from childhood to adulthood, is that our parents have a specific idea of who we are based on based on how we've behaved, but only we yes. know how we felt about it. Right. Which is really important. And like, as somebody who, this should be another episode, but you know that I'm an obliger in yes. the four tendencies. And so I do a lot of things behavioral wise that I don't want to do. Right. Because I feel like I should. So like, that's very relevant for me. Because you right. would just look at and what I'm doing and assume that I feel a certain way. I'm like, I actually don't feel that way at all. Right. And I, I like that this system, there's some things that are pretty comprehensible about like, this is how you feel. This is like your goals. This is what you're motivated by. Mm-hmm. But it also acknowledges that there's complexity, right? Like you yeah. could be stressed and in moments of stress, you're behaving like this, even if it's not your tendency or you right. might be behaving a certain way, but resent that you're behaving that way. Right. So I I think it's really fascinating. Yeah. Who came up with the Enneagram? So the books I've read about it credit a couple of people, mm-hmm. but I don't know if they're actually the originators. So the the theory that I have read, and correct me if I'm wrong, there are a lot of people who I don't know more about the Enneagram than I do, but the that originally its basis was basically like, at its core, it's the seven deadly sins. Oh, interesting. So it's it's these like core tendencies or indulgences. Yeah. What does that look like in a personality to have that as your core core weakness kind of? And yeah. then like they, they added two to it. So it's now nine. Yeah. So there there is some crossover in in some Enneagram communities with religion, but it's mm-hmm. not necessarily religious okay. at all. Okay. Interesting. Cause I just always wonder like the people who come up with these. I'm like, are you like a psychologist? Like, is this something that you studied and based on like hundreds of patients, you came up with this framework or did this just like come to you in this moment of intuitive download kind of thing? Yeah. I'm always curious about that. Uh, Let me, since I am here, I'm trying to figure out, I'm not finding like a short answer to who invented the Enneagram. So the it says the Enneagram symbol was introduced by George Gurdjieff. Okay. Who it sounds like was Russian, but spent time in Latin America. This is all from like, we'll we'll see. So, and the Enneagram that they're talking about refers to like this symbol. Right. The interplay between these nine separate points. So, right. But who's to say if he invented the personality typing or. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, when you took the test, what did you get? Okay, so I I took the test and I can't remember what I got the first time, but it just didn't quite resonate with me. Yeah. I paid for a test. Just you recently. did. Yes, I did. It was a whole $12. Don't say, don't say we never invested in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but one of my clients, Mariah Wickham, she has pivoted to be an Enneagram coach. And she really encouraged me like to pay for the actual Enneagram Institute test and to just like take it for 
take it at face value and don't try to to be any one thing, right? Which is like what they tell you when they take the test. Like, don't give the answer that you think you should give. Like, give the answer that is true for you most of the time kind of thing. So when I took that just recently, I got type nine, which is like the peacemaker. Okay. And I still don't know if that's really me. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it feels it feels like who I was as like a child. And yeah, I can see that. And honestly, I feel like I am a completely different person as a parent than I was as a kid. Yeah. But I feel like those, a lot of the questions, they were like, growing up, did you do this? And I'm like, well, yeah, I did do that. Like, I used to care a lot about making other people happy. And now I'm just tired and lazy and selfish. Right. And, you know, and I think like, you can switch types. It's yeah. not it's not contemplated in this universe that you can't switch. I know a friend who growing up was a two who now is an eight, like had a big life change, family yeah. circumstances, etc. So it's not impossible that you were a nine and you're now something else. Yeah. But I would say like what I would recommend, I don't hate the quizzes. I think they're useful as a starting point to just kind of see like yeah. on a surface level, here's where, because a good one will give you like your percentage of every number. Yeah. Because everybody has, there's interplay. So like you'll have a little bit of all of these tendencies, right? Right. But I think the, for me, it's really comes down to like the core desires. Like what is it that I really in my core want? Mm -hmm. And looking at that could help you. For me, it was like, I had a really high score in three categories that were right close together. And so it was like, okay, which of these do I lean? You know? Yeah. The, The feeling that I got when I took it just barely and I got type nine or whatever, it was like, this would be my type if I was a good person. <laughs> like, but like, I'm not actually a good person. So this can't be me. Well, we can unpack that later. <laughs> but I actually think that means that probably is, that probably is you. Yeah. I, the other thing Like, if you don't is, feel worthy of it, it probably is yes. correct that that's what you want. Yes. That, okay. That very much describes how I felt. Like, I don't feel worthy of this description. Okay. Like, I I want to I want to be this, but I'm not this. Yeah, yeah. I definitely have to take that to my therapist um, later. When I'm reading <laughs> through, when I'm reading through the types, I often really resonate with type one, which I think is like I can't remember what they call it, but it's like principled and kind of idealistic. Yes. So I'll give a little description about the one, and then I will tell you my thoughts. About that. So put a plug in that. Okay. So we'll start at the beginning. Type one is called the reformer. Okay. The reformer. That's right. And I'm using the language from the Enneagram Institute because that's, yeah, I found that to be a really great resource. And it's, that's where I took my paid quiz and I felt like it was the most thorough. Right. So some people have like renamed them, but I'll call it the reformer. So this is somebody who is moralistic. Mm-hmm. can sometimes see the world in terms of black and white, right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And they're very focused on themselves so they can mm-hmm. be perfectionists, but they they really want to exercise self-control. They have purpose and they want to do what is right. They're mm-hmm. very duty bound. Yes. So my take on your comment, Rebecca, is I think everyone in our family just has <laughs> some like lingering. I think both our parents, I think mom is a one type like two wing one. And I think dad is a one wing nine. Yes. And so I think everyone in our family has a tendency to perceive things in this moral lens. Mm -hmm. And part of that comes with like growing up religious, right? Yeah. 
yeah, like everything is moral. Right. There is a right and there is a wrong. Yeah. And so that that can be a motivating factor without it being the only facet of your personality, right? But I, fe- I felt that much. I score very high mm-hmm. in number one, too, because I am like, well, yes, there are there are absolutes. Yeah. Yeah. But I think my my approach to everything is not moralistic. Yes. I really like that. Honestly, that explanation of what your wing is makes so much sense to me because I thought it was just kind of like your secondary personality. Like you're mostly, like I'm mostly a nine, but my wing is one. And I was like, yeah, okay. But explaining that, that's, it's kind of like, that's your, like when you're not being your best self, that's who you are. (laughs) I'm like, I really like that. Yeah. So that's type one. And I didn't know if you wanted to talk, like, should we talk about all of them and then talk about some strategies or do you want to do them one at a time? Yeah. Okay. So here's what I have and we can adjust this as needed. I have some visual things to consider for each type Ooh, and, I like that. and also an example of a brand that is that Enneagram type. For some of them, I might need you to help me come up with a couple. I could not come up with some for nine. Maybe it's because it's my own type, but I was just like, I can't think of anything. Yeah. Okay. And then I also thought like, what just like some some things to consider if you're building a business and you are this particular Enneagram type. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Maybe we start with that. Like, what are some things to consider for building or marketing your business with that type? Visual considerations and then an example of a brand that does that. Yeah. And I mean, we just said we're going to do, should we just do like the first four? I think, yeah, we'll try to do four. Okay. That's good because, okay, so actually let me share my screen. This is, I just took this from the Enneagram Institute and I just have little descriptions for each one from them. So maybe you can read those and then I'll talk through. Yeah. So type one is the reformer. Someone who's like morally focused mm-hmm. can be a black and white thinker, mm-hmm. very focused on themselves, meeting certain expectations. Mm-hmm. But I would say it's not it's not someone who wants to be the best to be seen. It's because mm-hmm. they really believe like I have to meet these goals because it is morally correct. It's my duty. Yes. Yes. So my as I'm thinking about this person, which like I said, I identify a lot with the reformer personality. I think one of the best things that you can do as you're growing your business as a type one is to take messy, imperfect action. Interesting. There's a coach that I follow where she talks about garbage posts, which is just like, write what's on your mind and just post it. Don't overthink it. Don't over edit it. Like just get it out there. Don't let this idea of it being perfect stop you from doing something because that's like, that's your struggle, right? Is that you want it to well, be perfect. The struggle with this type typically is perfectionism, but also mm-hmm. that really struggling with anger and self-directed anger. Mm. Yeah. I that there's totally like a strong that. inner critic, mm-hmm. you know? I think also you have to use your perfectionistic tendencies. Like the fact that if you are this type, you are probably very, very good at what you do. Yes. And so like, use that show up as an expert like actually build a brand where people feel like oh this person for sure knows what they're doing because they're so confident and they look so professional 
don't hide behind these things, like start showing up and be the expert because right. you are, you know? I like that. So in terms of what brand elements I would look for if this was your brand, for somebody who is very principled and purposeful, I'm thinking like squares, like right angles, harsh lines, (laughs) something like ascending, because there's this idealistic, like they want things to be growing and moving and reaching their goals. And then I would also use primary colors, like keeping it basic, keeping it rule following. That's the vibe yes. of the type one. And then I couldn't think of an example of a brand that fit this type. A brand that is type one. Um, I would say, I would honestly say like Patagonia. Oh, yes. Except Patagonia, I also feel like is kind of type four. Yes, there is something that's very like individual. But I just think when I think of a brand that's like calling out moral leadership, I think of like Patagonia. Yeah. Like right now, there's a there's a big discussion in Utah where we grew up about putting a gondola in the canyons because they don't have enough parking for the resorts. Mm-hmm. And it's this, you know, this tension between the locals who like to drive up there during the weekdays and enjoy it and the tourists who clog up, you know, and like we need both, right? We need both right. people to be happy. But Patagonia has been really involved in this campaign and talking about like save our canyons, like do yeah. you know we have to do the thing that's right by the locals and the environment and preserving this natural beauty and like mm-hmm. how cool is it that there's like this very famous worldwide brand that cares about what's going on in the Salt Lake Valley and the Wasatch Front? <laughs> Honestly, Patagonia is like one of the coolest brands. Yeah, one of my all-time favorite brands. I think I would say for the reformer, I think a good example would be like Rolex. I could see that too. Like very high end. There's like this attention to detail kind of vibe, kind of approach, I should say. Yeah. That's like definitely like they are the experts. They are perfectionists. There's this element of of control and perfection and Mm -hmm. following the rules. It's yeah. a very elevated brand. I feel like that would be my that would be my go-to. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, okay, let's go to number two. Okay, so type two is called the helper. And this this type is hard to explain, but I think if you know a person like this, you can easily identify. Yeah, I don't know if I do know a person like this. Slash, am I this person? You're not. Okay. <laughs> I, I can say comfortably that you're not. <laughs> Are you helpful? No. <laughs> I'm like, well, generous, caring, people please. Like, I don't know. It kind of sounds like me. Yeah. I think there's a lot of talk about people pleasing these days. So the the helper is someone who, in some ways, is the opposite of the reformer. Someone okay. who's an obliger, who is mm-hmm. relationship focused, mm-hmm. um, self-sacrificing, people pleasing. Mm-hmm. So it accepts that like there's a social contract, right? Do you think like mom is this type? Mom is 100% this type. Oh, okay, so it's okay, a combination okay. of like, I, ha- I, have a, I have a duty to help those around me, but also the expectation that everybody else feels like this too. So if right. I take someone a meal when they're sick, people should take me a meal when I'm sick. Mm, yes. Yeah, or I like, can totally see that. This is, you know, someone in your family is having an event, you drop everything and do it for them. And then maybe not maybe not being able to understand when other people just have different boundaries, right? Yes. 
Yeah. So this person is like extremely generous, like the mm-hmm. best, most caring friend, nurturing, loving. Mm-hmm. But the the downside of that is that they do have high expectations and expect reciprocity. Yes, I can totally some, see that. Sometimes these people also struggle with projection, mm. either assuming that everyone has the same sense of relationships that I do. Yeah. Or that I can't distinguish, did I do this because I wanted to or because I wanted reciprocity? Right. Right. So that's that's the dark side of this. Yeah. Okay. I know exactly what my marketing tip would be for this type. Ooh, okay. This is so, so basic. But if you are this type, you are probably doing so many things for your clients or for your business that are like really good and really important. You're just not telling anybody about them. So next time you do something that is generous or caring or compassionate, literally just document it and post it on social media with a little explanation. That's a great idea, actually. That's that's super practical. Right? right? This is kind of a trend that I've noticed on social media that really the best content is not created. It's just documented. Yeah. And that's basically my strategy, right? I create brands and all I do is document what I'm doing along the way and show people a little bit behind the scenes, bring them along. Well, that's what this that's what this podcast is too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But if you're doing Maybe this, you're probably more behind like, the scenes than anybody ever knew <laughs> we can do. Also, I just keep thinking like as you're explaining these really interesting Enneagram types that you have a pig filter on your face. <laughs> <laughs> I would take it off, but honestly, I'm getting a kick out of it. So I'm <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I will I will say, just as a side note, there are a lot of people who are genuinely Enneagram type twos. Yeah. But I I have noticed a trend. There are a lot of women that I know who get mistyped as a type two. Mm, interesting. I think just because in society, maybe they're expected to be a little bit more interpersonal or take on a lot of that like invisible labor, 100%. you know, gre- greasing the wheels of your family and your community. So I yeah. I think you can you can be a generous person and you can engage in a lot of these like community building, mm-hmm. interpersonal, interrelational behaviors, but that doesn't necessarily automatically mean you're a type two. Right. right. And it's also important to remember that if your core motivation in life is to be generous. That is great. And if your core motivation in life is something different, that's also great. Yeah. The whole point of the Enneagram and any personality test, and I don't know why I'm giving this speech because it's literally just for myself, but is not to have one personality type that is better than the others. It's to show that there are strengths and weaknesses to all of these. Right. It's it's This is not another framework that we're supposed to use to beat ourselves up. I think that's how I feel right. like great. I'm supposed to be the peacemaker. Yeah. Well, in a lot of a lot of places that I have seen when they're doing either creating content or making a list of Enneagram things, mm-hmm. they will actually start with nine and then go all the way to eight just to reinforce the idea that this is not a hierarchy. And like they're all, even in the shape, they're all arranged in a circle and there's interplay yep. between all of them. It's not about being better or yeah. you know, you're ascending to become number one, right? right? It's really not like that. Right. Also, not to make everything about design, but isn't that interesting that like the way that we perceive things is based on the way they're designed? Like yeah. they didn't they didn't design it as a pyramid. They designed it as right. a circle. 
and it works, you know, in theory, it should work. Okay. So if I was going to design a brand that was based on the helper personality type, I would do something visually that feels very human. So something like organic or hand-drawn, I kind of had this idea of doing something like flowers or seashells or snowflakes, something that is imperfect yeah, and that represents our humanity and like our, our desire to like connect with one another. Yeah. I even that think like my vibe. the shape of a hand, right? Yes. Oh yeah. Like brands, like brands that are this personality, they're the ones that have like two people that are holding hands or like an interconnected, you know, or like faces. Yeah. And you have to be really careful using faces in your branding because it can look so off so quickly, but you would totally see yeah. that in this kind of brand. You can the cross example into that uncanny valley. And- oh yeah. We should do a whole episode about that. Also, the number of we should do an episode about that things that Abby and I have is probably in like the 50s by now. Yeah. I do try to keep track of things we've said. Yeah, I do too. Um, The example brand that I have for the helper is UNICEF. I feel like there's other brands, you know, like I was like, oh, you know, generic helper would be like a nonprofit. I honestly think of like the archetype is Mother Teresa. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But I like UNICEF because it's not an individual. It is a like a corporation, for lack of a better word, and there's visibility. Yeah. UNICEF is really good at telling people what they're doing. Yes. And that's what the helper brand needs to do. The other the other brand that I think fits into this category is, uh, this may be revealing too much about myself, but <laughs> during the pandemic, I got down the ASMR YouTube rabbit hole. <laughs> I love and ASMR. The ASMR there's a lot of videos, but there's a certain YouTuber named Josie B. Shout out to Josie. Shout out to Josie B. We love you. <laughs> Shout out to Josie B. But she, one of her personas, I don't know if it's unique to her, but it, she has like ASMR friend. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's like it's like a friend that scratches your back or braids mm-hmm. your hair or does your makeup. And that yes. is type two. That's yes. exactly it. Yes. She had a video just recently. Like, I love her and I love ASMR. Cobb thinks it is the weirdest thing in the entire world. It gives him the heebie-jeebies. I literally, like, it causes him pain to listen to Yes. It. Yes. He has, like, a visceral reaction to it. Um, Her video came up on my YouTube Explore page, and it was literally Josie B wearing a pair of elf ears, and it was like, fairy, <laughs> fairy friend helps you get ready for bed. Yeah, that's her. <laughs> it was just cracking me up also i'm just like what a weird world that we live in like how would you possibly explain that video to like our grandparents yeah like it just does not make sense but i love it how would you tell the greatest generation today i watched an asmr mushroom decompose (laughs) oh my gosh i that's like on saturday after we hosted this big party I came home and Cobb was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, honestly, I just want to sit here and watch some SB mowing. And that's like my oddly satisfying <laughs> landscaping YouTuber that I love. Shout out to SB mowing. He does a great job. Yep. Oh my gosh. Okay. I think that I think that's pretty much covers it for type yeah, two. I think, I think that's good for type two. Okay. So type three. On this very cursory level. So type three is the achiever. So this I is I also feel is... like this could be me. <laughs> It could be. So this person is success-oriented, 
achievement oriented gold star you know like really can like adapt to their circumstances mm-hmm. so th- these people can tend to code switch a little bit mm. yeah right like they can be they can be like the teacher's pet the best kid in class and then on the playground they can also be like the class clown the entertainer I so, I do resonate with type three a lot because I have felt like I can kind of be a chameleon in that way. Yeah. And like, I, I like to think of it, hopefully, I'm trying to be emotionally intelligent and perceive what other people are feeling and like respond appropriately. But yeah, it, right. can, it can be kind of this code switching thing. Right. And again, like we were saying earlier, like the behavior, lots of people code switch for lots of different reasons, right? Right. People that are type twos might do it because they're trying to please other people or they're trying to make mm-hmm. them feel comfortable or they're trying to show right. empathy. Threes might do it to get ahead, not in a bad right. way, but they're just like, they're interested in succeeding. Yeah. yeah. Nines might do it to keep the peace. You know, fours yeah. might do it as a mode of self-expression. Like, yeah. That's, so it's really, it's really about the motivation, which I think yeah. that's why I like it. Yeah. Again, that's super helpful. So something kind of along those same lines. Something I have noticed in my personal life, because I have talked a lot about the Enneagram and I, people, because they know that I'm into it, will like let me know when they get typed or if they have some yes. questions and things like that. Yeah. But I have had multiple people in my life who are get like their quiz results or other people talk to them and say, oh, you're so clearly a type seven, mm. which we'll get to later. But like sevens are... They're like they like to dabble in a lot of things. They love to have fun. Sometimes they're adrenaline junkies. They want to be stimulated, mm-hmm. serial hobbyists. Mm-hmm. So these people are like, everyone's telling me that I'm a type seven, but I know in my heart that I'm a type three. Like that speaks directly to like my most inner desires, the things I want most in life. And so I think it's interesting that the downfall or like the difficult thing about type three is that there is a little bit of deception. Mm that they can sometimes perform for other people and hide their true motivations or that there's like a falseness that they can appear to be having so much fun. Yes. And to be loving life when really they're really struggling because they are so driven and they want to succeed. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. sometimes even the way they're perceived can be a little bit false. So I th- I think that's something worth noting too. If you aren't sure if you're a type three or a type seven, that's a common mistype that I've seen just because threes are so successful at playing the part, whatever the part is. Mm, That's super interesting. It's also just goes back to this idea that like, we really don't know why people do the things they do. Mm -hmm. Like we think that we know people, we think that we know their motivations, but unless they tell us truthfully, we don't really know. Yeah. So I think that's a good thing to remember. I, I do resonate a lot with this type. I'm trying to remember what my second type was. I think I either wanted it to be one or three, but I can't remember (laughs) which one it actually was. Because to me, there's some of the same behaviors that show up with one and three with like this high achieving, like idealistic kind of view. Yeah. But I actually tend to be, this is the thing that happens to me all the time. People assume that I'm a perfectionist. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm actually not a perfectionist with most things. Some things I am, but a lot of things I'm like, I actually am pretty low key. Like yeah. the reason that I'm doing something a certain way is for a different, different reason, you know? Right. Anyway, so the visual, oh, the business tip 
Uh, I didn't have a business tip for this one. I'll see if I... These people probably don't need a business tip because they are self-motivated to find it. Like they're already reading the management tips from Harvard Business Review. (laughs) Yes. So true. You probably need like a play tip. Like take a break. Honestly, the business tip for this one is these people are image conscious and I think you can lean into that. Mm -hmm. Use that image conscious desire to build a really aesthetic brand. Yeah. Because your ideal clients are probably image conscious too. Yeah, that's very true. But the visual aspects or the visual elements that I would use for this kind of brand is I would do like triangles, stars, anything that feels angular and unique and special and like even something like I was saying ascending for type one where it's maybe going like diagonal across. Yeah. For type three, I would do something that's going like straight up, like rising up. Yeah, I like that. Something like that. And then the example that I thought of was, I would say like Oprah Winfrey is like the achiever. Not necessarily that that's her personality, but that her brand is all about like being successful, being driven. It is very image conscious. And like she has like her favorite, you know, her favorite things. Like, yes, she's creating her own world. Yeah, I think I think that's totally accurate. I just opened my phone and I saw Josie B. I'm trying to find her elf video. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think let's do type four and then we can do some, I think the other half we can save for another episode, but we can talk about if there's any questions you have. Talk us through type four. Okay. So we'll finish off with type four. So it's interesting reading them in this order. I am seeing like there is a little, there's overlap, right? Yeah. There's only so many different things that people can embody in this world. So type four is called the individualist. Mm -hmm. And when I think of type four, I think of like the tortured artist. (laughs) Yes. It's both that emo kid in high school who only wrote poetry. Mm -hmm. And also it's like Van Gogh. Mm -hmm. Right. So they are typically like sensitive, focused on themselves, but in Type three is very very interested in how they interact with the world. How do I appear to the world? Mm -hmm. Type four is totally internal. Mm -hmm. I am the creative. I am the Mm -hmm. artist. How do I feel about things? Mm -hmm. So a lot of them work in creative fields, like Mm -hmm. to express themselves creatively, or even if they have a corporate job, they think of themselves as like an individual, as an innovator. Mm Mm-hmm. So the the downside of that is that they can be self-absorbed and a little bit moody. Mm-hmm. Maybe even in in like the worst, worst moments, maybe even narcissistic. Mm-hmm. But that these people also are not afraid of being unconventional. In fact, they thrive on being different from other people. Yes. And they embrace, you know, like all of their feelings. They also, the things that they say about them is that they really relish in extreme emotion. Mm. So not only are they afraid, they're not afraid to feel sad that they like feeling sad. They might even ask you to tell them kind of some of them are really em- empathetic. Like, tell me, oh, that sounds so hard. Tell me more about that. But also that they're like, oh, I like, I like feeling scared. I like feeling sad. I like feeling angry, you know? Yes. <laughs> it's. I swear every single one that we go through, I'm like, I see a lot of myself in that too. <laughs> <laughs> Like literally the other day I was having a meltdown because Rosie was sick and it was just so much for me to handle. 
And I had the thought, like, I'm feeling overwhelmed because of the way that I'm thinking about this problem. Like if I, if I choose to think about this differently, this is kind of like a life coachy thing, but it really is important, right? If I choose to see this differently, if I have adjust my attitude, I could, I could probably eliminate feeling so sad and so overwhelmed. And I literally thought to myself, I don't want to think about it differently. I just want to feel sad and overwhelmed. I kind of like feeling this way. (laughs) (laughs) And I think there's like healthy and unhealthy means of like on that spectrum. Yes. The healthy and unhealthy side of that. Yeah. But I definitely resonate with that a little bit. It's interesting because my example for this type individualist was Apple because their whole thing is like different. Yeah. Which it's so interesting because they've become so mainstream. They've become exactly they've become so mainstream that like they're no longer really breaking the rules or doing anything that's different. So I actually like your idea of Patagonia for the individualist. I also yeah. think a lot of, like you were saying, artistic types mm-hmm. fall into this category. Even like there was a type that I had. I was obviously on like a, you'll see, like I was on a car kick because I kept thinking <laughs> of, of car brands. I think because I was like, Tesla is such a strong brand. I I can see Tesla as a type four. Right? Like breaking the mold, doing something new electric vehicles, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the other vibe that I had for that. The best marketing tip that I have for this Enneagram type is to take your individuality and showcase that through your brand. Okay. I say this all the time, but like, we don't like businesses. We like people. So if you have like a really quirky, weird, distinct personality, like you should use that to your advantage in your brand. Yeah. You know, like don't water yourself down, like share your polarizing opinions, share your art, share your like weird way of thinking so that people can know you and and buy from you. Yeah. And then if I'm doing like a visual element for this type of brand, I would do like just offbeat color combos, nothing expected, right? I like the idea of like circles within circles. Mm-hmm. like layers within, but then also layers um, like coming forward, like having photos overlapping with things. I also see a lot of like texture in this kind of brand because it's so like, it just feels like very exploratory. And very, very abstract impressionism to me. Yes. Yes. 100%. That would be, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, I just think like Magritte, any painting by Magritte <laughs> where it's like, you think this is a pipe? Oh, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> this is not a pipe. <laughs> yes. Honestly, I think of um, like Salvador Dali. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put a lobster on a telephone because I can. Yes. Like, honestly, it would be super interesting to go through the Enneagram types and say what famous artist is what type. Oh my gosh. I would love, I would, maybe that's what we do in episode two. I would yes. love to talk about that. Yes. Because yeah. I'm like, Georgia O'Keeffe, like where would she be on the Enneagram types? You know what I mean? Like, I think all of them have elements of the individualist, but like based on their art, where would they be? And again, like lots of people can be creative, but not everybody like wakes up in the morning being like, I must express myself. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe Peter's a type four, which is why he keeps making origami. Honestly. Yeah. Actually, that makes a lot of sense for Peter. Right. That so makes something a ton that of sense. 
Oh, oh yeah. I was going to ask you a question about this. I read yeah. something about the Enneagram. I can't remember what it was, but it basically said that there's a core desire for each type and a core fear. Yeah. But from my understanding, the only one that I remember is for the individualist. It was like the same. So it was like the core desire of the individualist is like to be different. Right. And the core fear is that they're just like everybody else. Yeah. Is that true? That is kind of true. So I would say for the individualist, like their core desire is like, I must be an individual. Right. So it's both, I must express myself and also I must be in some ways different or distinct or noticeable from other people Mm -hmm. in a way that is true to like my self-expression and identity. Yeah. I like that definition a lot. I bet a lot of my clients are this type. mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the the core fear is being insignificant, right? Yeah. Not only like they don't mind having bad ideas or being mm-hmm. rejected, it's literally being unnoticed and mm-hmm. insignificant or conventional. Right. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say as we were talking about like, oh, you know, Peter likes to do crafts, so maybe he's a type 4. Mhm. I I think it's I think it's interesting and fun to try to like put people like I said before on this podcast, I love putting people into categories. It's oh, like yes. my favorite thing to do. Oh, yeah. I once sat down with a couple of friends and we picked a Baskin Robbins flavor for everybody that we knew. Oh, my gosh. Just like that's like my little fun. I love doing that. It helps to be a lawyer where it's like everything has a three-part test and you just put each thing in the <laughs> test. <laughs> I feel like um, Edward Cullen would maybe be an individualist. Yes. That like brooding, <laughs> secretive. Oh. Mm-hmm. Coming back so full true. circle to our first episode about Twilight. Mm-hmm. Jacob is a type seven, I I think. 100%. I think Bella, Bella's a two. Bella's 100% a two. Yeah. And I think, what's her mom's name? Renee. Renee. Renee would be a type seven. Mm-hmm. Charlie's probably a one or a nine. Emmett is an eight. Yeah, Charlie's a nine. <laughs> I think Alice is a six. Yeah, and Alice Carla, is a six. And Jasper. Carlisle no, is a two. No, no, no. Yeah, Alice. Well, I was going to say Alice is a five and Jasper is a six. Mm, interesting. Okay. Um, The last thing <laughs> I was going to say is like, although it is fun to speculate, like fictional characters. Are no you going to no give foul. me a lecture about not putting people in boxes? No, I'm just going to say, like, what I like about this is it really leads you to say, okay, if this is the behavior someone has, Mm -hmm. what's their core motivation? Mm -hmm. Or if this is someone's core motivation, there's multiple ways that they could be acting. Right. So I I think it lends itself well to not like, obviously, if you're trying to pick for somebody else, you can't really know what they think and feel about stuff. But I think it is an interesting way to promote empathy and like understanding other people. Yeah, I I like so too. I do too. I also think, you know, as I'm sitting here looking through these, sometimes it feels like, oh, the individualist feels like a stronger personality. Yeah. And stronger doesn't necessarily mean better. And especially when it comes to building a business, I think there's a tendency to think like, well, I have, if I don't fit this really strong brand idea, then like my business is no good. Mm -hmm. Right. But like, when you're building a brand, when you're building a personal brand, the best thing you can do is be 100% true to who you are. 
Like your best brand is going to come as you lean into your type one or type three or whatever it is, as opposed to like pretending to be the individualist that you are not. Right. And like that goes for me too, because I'm even sitting here thinking like, man, like I should be more like dramatic and expressive in my (laughs) marketing. I'm like, that's actually not me. Right. I'm I'm not the super weird artist. I'm like the normal person who's really good at designing stuff. Right. You know, and that's like, that's my brand. That's what works for me. The other brand I think of for four is honestly Etsy. Hmm. Yeah. Like to be like, oh, you like conserve your own hair and then you <laughs> knit it into a sweater for a dog. <laughs> yeah. There's a place for you. <laughs> I think. Etsy is definitely like facilitating yes. the individualist. Then you have this whole thing of like Etsy's brand. Is Etsy's brand the individualist or is Etsy's brand more like the achiever? Because they're like, we're going to help you be successful. You get to be as creative and sensitive as you want and like will be the successful pragmatic software solution for you to sell your things. You know, like they yeah, kind of have this interesting blend. I do, I do brand archetypes in my brand strategy. It's not the whole thing that I base brands off of. It's basically like one of the tools that I give my clients just to help them see things differently. And one of the things that I do is I typically do a split. Like your brand, sometimes it's like your brand is like 90% this archetype, 10% this. Sometimes it's 50-50. But I feel like for most people, like real people, personal brands, it's hard to isolate yourself down to one thing. Like that doesn't really feel like us. Most people feel like they have multiple aspects to their personality. And so I think having the wings, having a blend of something in your brand is really powerful. Yeah. So having heard these first four, do you feel like you are one of them? Uh, I think as you're talking about it, I think I am a type nine. Like that's that's what I want to be, but I don't feel worthy of it. Mm -hmm. But I do think there's, some part of me, I'm not sure whether it's the reformer or the achiever. Yeah. But I do think there's some part of me that is like that high achieving perfectionist. Yeah. Want to be successful type. I'm just not exactly sure what my motivation is. Yeah. It's hard. Because in some ways I am very image conscious like, yes, you you design things for right. a living. <laughs> right, like I design things for a living. But in other ways, like I just dress like a normal person. Right. You know, and I know that's not the only application of that, but that's something that I kind of go back to. Like, like what's my motivation here? Like, what? why am I doing things Yeah, the way that I'm doing them? And as I'm saying that, I'm like, I think maybe I am more type one than type three. Like a lot of times I know that I could do something less perfectly or purposefully but like this little voice in my head that is like no this is the right way to do it just like will not be silenced unless I do something that way you know yeah what you said you were type five yeah so I'm a five okay I'm a five wing four so there is okay and again like I don't think I exhibit this way necessarily I definitely I definitely see some of the type four in you yeah. Like the the fear of like not being like being insignificant. Yeah, that's definitely there for me. So like we'll get to type five next time. Mm-hmm. 
I think a lot of people who read a lot of books or who were really into public libraries when they were little <laughs> type is a type five. <laughs> I can totally see that. But for me, I work in a very traditional field where it's like, if you research hard enough, you can find answers, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not an artist. But I like, I have a very strong sense of like, when I create something, I feel ownership over it. Mm. Yeah. And so I think that makes me a better writer. And I really try to lean into that, that I want to find the best way to express something legally mm. and arguments that are persuasive. But I also, I just like, sometimes I have to express myself and I just can't help it. Yeah. You know, like sometimes I just like, I have to pull a prank in the courthouse because <laughs> it's just like, it comes bubbling out. There's also an interesting, I would say you and I are both performers in specific ways. Yeah. Like not in your traditional way, but like one of the ways that I express myself when I'm really comfortable with somebody is like through song and dance. Yes. (laughs) I knew that I felt comfortable around Cobb when I was doing my weird little dances around him. Yes. And like not embarrassed of it. So I don't know what personality type that is, but there's like, there's a certain kind of expression for me that comes in like a performance, if that makes any Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I was going to say, I feel like the example for type five would maybe be like Matilda. Yeah. Yeah. I can totally see that. I have some brand ideas for type five. So we'll, we'll talk offline. Oh yeah. I'm super excited for that. I think this, I think this is really interesting. I do too. I feel like we could do, we could do multiple series. Yeah. Of this, but I'm also like so deep in the Enneagram Kool-Aid that it's like, (laughs) we'll see if anybody else tracks this, but I'm like, "Mm -hmm, that's a fact. Yes. Yes. 100%. Well, I really enjoyed this. Join us for part two next week. We'll do five through nine, same things. And then we will do uh, I'm not sure what we have coming after that, but join well, us next week e, for part two. Presumably after letter E comes F. Have we decided what we're doing for F? Well, we we have a branding challenge after that. Oh, that's right. We have a branding challenge. Okay. Branding challenge. And then F is for blank. Yes. Food. Write I your predictions in the comments. Yeah. I think we're doing food. Yeah. If we'll you have a better that. suggestion though, we might do it in a later episode. So let us know. <laughs> let us know. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to Aesthetically Speaking. If you want to support the podcast, please leave us a nice review or connect with us on Instagram at Rebecca Peterson Studio. 